for it. This morning, we're continuing this series. Um, in the world that we live in, um, there is pain everywhere. I mean, we hear about it all over the news on Facebook, all over the news if you watch real news on TV. It is everywhere, pain, uh, difficult things everywhere. And, and I kind of see it as my job, and maybe you agree with me as well, as your job, for us not to cause additional pain for other people. I mean, we, we really should have kind of a personal mantra that says, I don't want to hurt the people around me. And maybe that might even be a primary goal that as we live life, we don't want to injure the people around us. So we should live our life and yes, enjoy our lives as long as we're not causing harm to another person around us, right? And maybe if we operate within those bounds, then we're going to get along pretty well in this life that we're in, especially in America. Now, if we step outside of that and we start doing what we want to do at the expense of other people, then we can find ourselves in real trouble. You see, if your idea of freedom is doing what you want, even if it's at the expense of someone else around you, if you hurt that person physically, or even, we might even be able to say even emotionally, if you threaten them or severely damage them somehow, you're in real trouble, right? For the most part, though, for most of us, we can pretty much do what we want to do and not hurt the people around us. You see, it has worked so far pretty well for our government. We can live our lives, but don't harm the people around you and you'll be okay. Now, I know that I'm not perfect. We can say that, and we certainly, as we look at my life, can agree on that. I know I'm not perfect, and it really doesn't matter what I do as long as I'm not hurting those people around me. And I think in America, most of us would agree with that statement. You see, we live in America, we attend church in America, and so we have this America version of the way we view the world. And most of us have grown up agreeing with this. As God looks at us, as he looks at us, he understands, even God understands, we're not perfect as long as, though, we're not hurting the people around us. Then it really doesn't matter what we do. There's just one problem with that statement. God never said that. So God really never said that. He, he didn't say. So in America, there's no law against mainstream pornography. And so you might be thinking, well, I'm not hurting anyone. Besides, no one even knows that I'm into that. So it can't hurt anyone. Or we might say, well, you know what? There's no law against having sex before we're married. And by the way, both of us have agreed to this. My partner knows that I love them. I'm committed to them. And anyway, our relationship, 
is a whole lot more healthy than some of the marriages I know, we're not hurting anyone. We could say, I'm not perfect. Harley, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And I'm more honest than some of the people that I know that go to church. I, I mean, I have better integrity than some of the people that I know that go to church. They're standing in line to get into church. And those people are pretending that everything's okay. They're pretending that they're good. They're pretending that everything's all right. But I know how that person treats other people. Listen, I'm not bothering anybody. So what do you have against me? You know, we think I, I should pretty much be able to do what I want to do. You know, as long as I'm not hurting the other people. And we believe if it's good enough for America and for it must be good enough for God too. And the problem is it's not. It, it's just not good enough for God. And if someone happens to remind us that it's not good enough for God, it's easy for us to get defensive. I mean, we think, what right? do you have to tell me that? I mean, who are you to judge me? Listen, buddy, the Bible even says don't judge or you're going to be judged yourself. So just back off. You know, there are churches, there are some churches who take the Bible and they actually spiritually bash people over the heads with the Bible. I mean, they beat them up and they rip them apart with anger and with judgment and with self-righteousness and with hate. I'm not talking about those churches. I, I, I'm really talking about a loving, grace-filled, kind, encouraging church like ours. A church who teaches the truth of what God says and what the Bible says, but they teach it with humility, with love, and, and being full of compassion. And you know what? Even in a church like that, some people will leave that kind of church because the church won't agree with them that they can pretty much do whatever they want to do as long as they are a pretty good person and they're not hurting the people around them. You know, the Apostle Paul prepared us in advance and, and he, it's like he's giving us a heads up that people would start to believe what they wanted to believe regardless of what God said about it. He gives us that heads up in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Listen to this. For a time is coming, Paul says, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. And he says they will follow their own desires and they will actually look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. We have a tendency to believe that in America, God knows that we're imperfect. And as long as we don't hurt other people, then pretty much we can do what we want to do. And if someone tells us different, if someone tells us, no, that's not the way it really works, that's not how God views it, then we are quick to 
tell them maybe the one verse that we might know because we've heard it and we we say, oh, that's a good one. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, if someone does try to tell us something, then we are quick to say, no, 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 no. Listen to what Jesus said. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Sadly, that is one of the most misquoted, misapplied, misunderstood verses in all the Bible. I think it's important for us to understand what Jesus was saying here. Jesus was not making a blanket prohibition only and all discernment. He was really only making a statement against those things that are done with self-centered pride. A good summary of what Jesus was actually saying is this. Don't judge others until you are prepared to be judged by the same standard. And then, when you do exercise a judgment toward another person, he's he's saying this, do it with humility. Humility. So for the most part, if that's what Jesus is actually saying, and it is, for the most part, We have to take that verse out of our defensive, knee-jerk, automatic response when somebody says something to us that we don't agree with. Part of the reason that we think that God believes that we can do what we want as long as we don't hurt people around us, some lies that we have grown up in here in America has taught us some lies about a word that we don't like to talk about Our culture has taught us some lies about sin and the topic of sin. For instance, we have grown up being taught, hey, listen, I'm not a bad person. You know, I'm actually, I'm a pretty good person. I do some things wrong, but I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person. Now, this morning, I'm not going to address that topic, and here's why, because I took an entire series this last fall, and we addressed that topic for a whole month. And I'm going to encourage you this week, please go to our SoundCloud account and look up Evil Does It. That's the name of that series, Evil Does It. And go listen to that series this week. That addresses that faulty thing that we have grown up with being taught in our culture that I'm not a bad person. I'm really a pretty good person and occasionally I do a few bad things. I have a whole series on that. Please listen to that. Now, already on our Facebook page, I don't know why I pointed to my watch. Already on our Facebook page, we have uh, a link to that series right now. So you can go there. Please don't listen to it now. It'll be a little weird. But we have a link. And so while you're driving in your car, whatever, you can listen to that series. Four weeks, one topic, it, it's, it's good. You say, wait a minute, Harley. I know that I'm not imperfect. And in fact, Harley, if you look out on our new sign on the front, it says the perfect place for imperfect people. And I also know, as one of the slogans for our church, Harley... We say that a lot, that we are the perfect place for imperfect people. 
So you're telling me that God's not okay with me doing the best that I can as long as I'm not hurting other people? I'm going to have to say, you're right. That is what we're saying. We are the perfect place for imperfect people. Absolutely. And at Stuttgart Harvest Church, I admit that every week for myself. I try to let you know, hey, listen, I have blown it in many, many ways. And I know most of you would admit the same thing and you would say, yes, I am imperfect. But here's the thing. We don't pretend that we have it all together. That's just not who we are. We don't pretend that everything is hunky-dory in our lives. We don't pretend that. But at Stuttgart Harvest Church, we tell you the truth. Even when it hurts, we tell you the truth. But we do that with love and grace and kindness. And here's the truth. Yes, this is the perfect place for imperfect people. But the truth of this is, God doesn't want to leave you in the mess that you're in right now. He doesn't want to leave you there. God doesn't want to leave you nor me in the condition, in the state, in the current belief system that we have right now. He doesn't want to leave us there. He doesn't want us to say, oh, well, I'm just imperfect. He wants to meet us right there and begin changing our lives from the inside out. God wants to slowly, slowly, daily, moment by moment, make us more like him. Culture tells us another wrong idea about sin. And most of us, myself included, we have bought into this one big time. Culture has raised us to believe that all sin, no matter what it is, is the same. We have said, who are you to judge me? I mean, listen, what I'm doing is not any worse than that one over there. Sin is sin. But God never said that. He doesn't teach that. He didn't say it with that meaning for sure. See, the Bible doesn't teach that all sin is the same. Do you know there is actually one sin? There's actually one sin that can't, that won't be forgiven. And if you're wondering, it is not suicide. That's not it. A lot of you were taught that, but that's not it. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. But there is one sin that can't, that won't be forgiven. Does that mean all sin is the same then? No. It's not all the same. There is something that sin does have in common with every other sin. It's sin. That's what it has in common. And it only takes one sin to make you a sinner. So your, your pastor, one of your pastors here, Harley... I have been a sinner a long time. It only takes one sin to keep you out of heaven. And all of us have that in common. And so that's pretty much the only thing is the same like about every sin. But not all sin is the same like our culture wants to teach us that it is. And here's, here's a big reason why. Sin 
has different consequences here on earth. And even some sin has different eternal consequences. No, 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 no. Sin is not all the same because of that. Sin is not just sin because of that. Is sin really all the same? Let's, let's, let's find out. So the guy, the guy who got mad at me in traffic and he honked his horn and he flipped me off and he was cussing at me because he got a little road rage, that guy, that sin, is it the same as the guy in Little Rock a few months back who was in Mabelvale? Got mad at the grandma in front of him, got out of his car, took his gun, shot towards the car, and hit the little boy in the back seat and killed him? Is that the same sin as the guy who had road rage against me and flipped me off and cussed at me? It's not, is it? It's not the same, is it? Is it really just sin? Oh, sin is sin. No. It's not. All sin is sin, yes. And any sin will separate us from God, but all sin is not the same. You see, it has different consequences. Okay, what about this? So you're in Walmart in the produce section, and from your cart or your buggy, depending on your belief system there, whether you have a cart or a buggy, Sitting usually where in the little seat where the kids are, that's where you put your grapes. And so you're walking through Walmart and you're eating some grapes. But yet they have, you're going to have to get on or paid. How are they going to weigh that grape? You're going to have to get on the scale. It's not, I mean, so they can't weigh it. You're eating some free grapes for you, right? Now, it's not right. But is that the same as the guy or the girl who gets wasted and de decides to go drive their car and they cross the center line and they hit the other car and they kill some people in the car? Is that, is that the same? Is eating the grapes, they're both sin. They are both sin, yes. But is it the same? They're both wrong, yes. But both sins have clearly different consequences. You see, the decisions that we make, how we choose to live our lives every single day, those decisions have consequences here on earth. Decisions also impact our rewards one day in heaven. And do you know those decisions also impact our punishment in hell? All sin is sin, but not all sin is the same. When we say it doesn't really matter what I do, wrong. Yes, it, it does matter. It matters what we do. It matters what choices we make, what decisions we make. 
because the consequences are different. It matters. Here's a third thing that our culture has told us about sin. It says, well, since you've already done it, you, you might as well keep on doing it. I mean, you've already, culture tells us that about sex outside of God's plan for sex. Culture tells us that about drugs. Culture tells that to people who are having an affair. Culture tells us that about pornography. It tells us that about alcohol addiction. I've had people tell me, I can't change. I have always been an alcoholic. I always will be. That's just the way I am. And then people say, well, it's going to be okay because God will forgive it. Well, Paul addressed that one as well. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, Well, then, should we just keep on sinning? So that God can just show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And he says, Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Have you ever noticed with sin, the tiniest sin, just a a little bitty sin, that little sin never stays little. You realize that? That little sin grows. Pornography, it gets easier and easier, and it grows. Stealing, it gets easier and easier, and it grows. Lying, it gets easier and easier, and the lies get bigger and bigger, and more often it grows. Even something as little as flirting with somebody at work. Flirting. It gets easier and easier, and it grows. And all sin, no matter what it is, all sin hurts God. All sin somehow hurts other people, even if we don't think that it does. And this is for sure. All sin hurts you. And it hurts me. I think we can say this pretty fairly about sin. All sin kills something. It's slowly killing your relationship with another person. It's slowly killing even your relationship with yourself. And it dulls your relationship with God. God never said, listen, Harley, I know you're imperfect. Just do the best you can. It really doesn't matter what you do as long as it doesn't hurt others. And I just said doesn't. (laughs) Doesn't. I'm going to put the S in there. He never said that because all sin hurts. All sin destroys. And any sin, even the tiniest, teeniest, tiniest sin is nothing like God. And you see, God has given us a very specific standard for us to meet. You know what that standard is? It's not just do the best you can. That's not the standard. You know what the real standard is? It's a tough one. Peter gives it to us. 1 Peter 1, 16. For the scripture says, now he's talking about something written in the Old Testament. He's saying that applied then and this applies now. 
And it's, he's saying this was, this was something God told a prophet to say on the behalf of God. You must be holy because I, that's God, am holy. He said, you want a standard? Here's the standard. God says, you are to have the same holiness that I have. Which leads me to believe this, that God has nothing to do with sin, which means even the tiniest, smallest, what, what seems to be the most insignificant sin is nothing like God, which means he wants you to have nothing to do with it. But there's a problem. I've had a lot to do with sin. Let's break this down some more. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. John says, if we claim we have no sin, if we pretend that everything's okay, that we have no sin, or I think we can even put this in here, if we even say, yes, 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 I do have some sin, but it really doesn't matter as long as I'm not hurting other people. He said, if we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. And then he says, though, but let me correct this. There's a correction for this. Verse 9, but if we confess our sins to him, that means to God, that, that confessing our sin, I know that sounds strange. Um, what that means is that we, if we agree with God about our sin that we have, if we begin to see our own sin the way God sees our sin, so if we can agree with God about our sin, it says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and not just forgive us, he says, and to cleanse us from all wickedness, all unrighteousness. And, he, and then he reiterates this again in verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. And we are showing that his word, God's word, has no place in our hearts. Now, the very fact that God has drawn you into this room where Stuttgart Harvest Church meets. This building is not our church. You are the church. But the fact that God has drawn us together in this room lets me believe this, that there's something inside of you on some level that says, I am open to what God's word has to say to me. Because we clearly, that's why we're here. And, and God's word says, if we will agree with God, if we will confess our sin to God, he is faithful and God is just. And he will forgive us of that sin and cleanse us from all wickedness, from all unrighteousness. You see, we have a tendency to think that it doesn't matter what I do. Because I'm not hurting anybody. But it does matter. It does matter what we do. At the very least, which is enough, it's hurting God. It matters to God. I'm going to ask you right now in this moment. I'm going to ask you to have within your heart and within your mind. A silent conversation with God. 
Will you have right now in this moment an honest conversation with God about your sin? Will you talk to God inside of your heart, in your mind? Your neighbor can't hear. I can't hear. It's in your mind. Will you have a conversation right now? We call it prayer. Will you have a conversation in your mind right now with God about your sin? Because you see, some of you, maybe for the very first time, you're realizing. Maybe you've been coming for weeks. Maybe you've been coming for months and you've been investigating this whole following Jesus thing. Or maybe you're here this morning for your very first time and something inside of you is saying, you need a change of ownership in your life. You see, we have and we are born here on this earth as being our own boss. And living our lives our own way, the way we think we should live them, the way we think is best, making our decisions, just being our own boss. And that leads us to sin. And maybe you're realizing that you need to surrender this life that God has given you. You need to surrender that to God, your creator, your maker, and let him be your boss. Do you realize that there is no forgiveness of sin without a change of ownership. It's required. Let me tell you how Paul explains this. It's in Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 6. It says, And now, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord. Now let me pause there for just a moment and help you understand. What does it mean that we have accepted Christ Jesus as our Lord? That means that you have made Jesus the boss of your life, your Lord, your boss, your owner. It says, just now, as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue now. Now that you've done that, you must continue now to follow him. And then he kind of describes that. How, what does it mean to follow him? Well, verse 7, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives, your very lives be built on him. Then if you do that, here's what happens. Then your faith will grow strong and in it will grow in the truth you were taught and your life will overflow with thankfulness. A couple verses later in this same chapter, verse 13, he says, you were dead because of your sins. Why were we dead because of sins? Because, yes, it matters what we do. It does matter. You were dead because of your sins. And because of your, your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then, because then, what, what means, because when we made him the boss of our life, then God made you alive. You're no longer dead because of your sins. God made you alive with Christ. And how, what happened? He forgave all of your sins. Most of them, hardly he forgave most of my, no, he forgave all of them. Every single one. When you're making the boss of your life. And then, verse 14, he tells us what happens as a result of making him the boss of your life. Again, he describes it in another way. Verse 14, he canceled the record of charges against us. And it was long and it was huge. He canceled the record of charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now, maybe in your life, right now, this very moment, you're realizing 
that you need a change of ownership. Maybe you are saying to God in your heart and in your mind right now, God, yes, I am a sinner. And God, I have blown it. God, I, I have sinned. I have blown it. And God, I have been my own boss, living my life my way, on my terms. But now, God, I'm asking you to be the boss of my life. I am surrendering my life, God, to your care and to your control. And I can do that. I can surrender my life to you and change ownership because of one thing, because Jesus paid the price for my sin. He nailed my sin to the cross. And now I can surrender my life to your care and your control. If you have never done that, here's my question. Don't answer out loud, but here's my question. If you've never done that, are you doing that right now? And if you are, tell God right now, yes, God, that's me. Now, here's what I ask you to do. Mark the back of your connection card. You'll see it on the boss of your life. The back of your connection card that you're taking that step and making Jesus the boss of your life. Tell me about that step by marking your connection card and do that while we sing this song.